0: Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode.
1: Joining you here tonight is Ian and Joa. You've been doing artwork every single day. You are the, um, I, I suppose close to an official artist for the, uh, well, the court give for that because <laughs> they don't do that I guess they don't just provide their own artist for these trials no you're gonna have to bring your own in this case and you get uh, you get your pencil set you've been uh, you've been doing sketches of every single witness I think so far that has hit the stand some of the pretty
2: I mean since I've been there yeah, yeah so some of
1: the court people I've the missed judge two days things so far, like that man. you did one of the entire jury uh apparently yeah just a as quick well. sketch of them all which is funny because normally you're not allowed to photograph the jury right but apparently you can draw them yeah just fine <laughs> at least they don't know that well but it, I didn't
2: I didn't do like fine detail on them I just did a quick of them you yeah know. that's true
1: and they're all wearing masks anyway so you can yeah you have no idea <laughs> What the details are. Uh, So there's really nothing to say about the Crypto 6 trial today for the first day in the last few weeks because there was no Crypto 6 trial today. The uh, trial's been put on hold given that the prosecution's final incomplete witness, uh, my ex-girlfriend Renee, has been unable to testify due to being tested positive with COVID. Oh, fine. Apparently she did test positive with COVID today, according to my attorney. Uh Uh-oh. And so... If she's still positive on Monday, it may end up being a mistrial. So wow. We'll, we'll see what happens then. And then, of course, what happens then? Do they drop some charges, or do they try it again from the top? Because then they uh, have to bring in all the old ladies again and everything. and it can try the herd immunity effect. What does that mean? Just bring her in. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to be acceptable to the federal government's courtroom policies. They have to go by whatever the CDC yeah. says. So. Yeah, you know, we'll see. We'll keep you in the loop as this thing continues to develop. But uh, in the news, I don't know. Are you are you much of a car guy? I like cars? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not. I'm not a real car what guy or anything like that. But uh, in fact, one of the things I think that was brought up is what kind of car do I drive in this, uh, oh, in this yeah. trial? Because you know, <laughs> the suggestion is that you know we're making all this money or whatever, and I drive a, a car, the Rav Four, with 190 thousand miles on it. It's a sought after uh, vehicle. People really like those Rav Four. The Rav Four, yeah. I, I like it. I think it's a nice vehicle. But, you know, the more I hear about these newer cars, Joa, the less attractive they are. I mean, I, I don't like the idea of having computers drive for me. Have you ever tried that before? Where, yeah, I mean, I haven't sat in the driver's
2: seat, but I've been in cars that were self-driving. Like completely self-driving? Um,
1: Yeah, well, I've been in a Tesla, yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, I've never I've never gone that far. Mark has one of these cars or had, I don't think he still does. But he has one of these cars where it's it'll just like keep you in the lane. Yeah, I've been in one of those too. Yeah. Uh, and I guess it kind of keeps you away from people. There's a radar on the front that tells you how close, tells the car how close you are to the next thing. I it'll, wouldn't rely on it. It'll back you off. I would pay off. attention to the road. Yeah. Well, the problem is, is people will probably, it'll probably create a reliance, even though they're I not know. intending exactly. to not rely on it. They may end up inevitably leaning on the that technology. BBC.com reporting that Mercedes-Benz is set to introduce an acceleration subscription fee. So, so you got to pay
2: the subscription? I'm just, my automatic uh, thinking is you got to pay to actually keep driving the car?
1: You got to pay to speed up faster. What? According what? to the story here, it's going to offer an online subscription service in the United States to make its electric cars speed up quicker for an annual cost of $1,200. So 100 bucks a month, excluding tax company will enable some of its vehicles to accelerate from zero to 60 miles an hour. That's awful. One second faster than they currently do. Wow. For 1200 bucks. Jeez. It comes after a rival manufacturer. Maybe you heard about this one. It's BMW. like Harrison Bergeron in some sort of fashion. You're, I've not read it. The idea
2: is like um, if you're over skilled in a competition to the mm-hmm. other opponent, they have to like put weights on you and bog you down. Oh.
1: Yeah. So well, it's even. So this is just, they're just trying to squeeze money out of you in this particular case. They know people want to go fast in cars, and they say, well, now that it's electric, instead of the old gas pedal where you could just right. stamp on the gas and pour as much gas into the uh, the gas tank as, uh, as you wanted to, as you were willing to pay for, now they get to completely govern your ability to go faster based on electronics. Uh, it's like a... Um a digital governor, like Yeah. Yeah, that you can now pay to remove. Which Crazy. is absolutely insane. But it's now coming after other news. Now, this one I'd marked for show prep, this other one, but we just never got to it. BMW is now offering a subscription for heated seats. I mean <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. Yeah, I am not kidding you. This is the BBC that's reporting on this. They are seriously telling people that if you want to have heated seats, you have to pay for a subscription service. I mean, look, I'm no technological expert as far as car technology is concerned, but I'm pretty sure a heated seat is just like a heating coil running through your seats and it's like the simplest technology that you could possibly imagine. There's there's no need for a subscription service to operate the circuit that would turn on or off this uh, this heating coil. It's like Big Brother everywhere. It's
2: like I feel like it's sort of marketing everything and controlling everything that we do. Because oh, if you have to pay for that now, let's just say oh, it's on your bill. Mm-hmm. Oh, heated seats are on your bill. It's like a record of these little things in your life. do I mean, you got to pay every time you use your washer, it's yeah. crazy.
1: Jimmy is on the line in Missouri. Go ahead, Jimmy.
0: Yesterday on Truth Social, Trump had uh, uh, tweeted or whatever that that uh, he had a, an important amount, uh, announcement he was going to make today. Okay. And yeah. it turns out that announcement is he's starting a line of NFTs, and they all feature him as some sort of superhero.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> so crazy looking.
0: $99 for each one.
1: Wow. Well, now, wait and, a minute. I thought he, Trump was against cryptocurrency. I guess he's changed his mind now that he figured out a way he I, can make some money, huh?
0: I guess so. But, he, yeah, he said you could buy it with, with dollars or you could use uh, crypto to buy it. And... Uh... <laughs> And he said, "Also that his how hold,
1: hold, hold on? How do you buy? Look, I'm no NFT expert here, but how do you buy an NFT? Which, as I understand it, is it an Ethereum token or a Solana token or one of these crypto tokens? That's why it's called an NFT. It's non fungible, meaning that a, there's only one of them. There's it's an original, basically. It's mm-hmm. even though you can copy the image, there's quote unquote only one original, and it's associated with that that place on the blockchain, that wallet uh specifically." How are you going to buy this with dollars if you don't have a crypto wallet in which to store it?
0: I don't know, but I'm guessing they're probably not real NFTs.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing you're right about that. That's another good question, too. Uh, not but, your keys, not your crypto, so you better yeah, hold it. You know? I'm guessing Trump doesn't know the answer to that question either.
0: No, nah, I don't think he does. But, yeah, he also said that they were going to be a, like somebody who gets one of these NFTs would uh, – might win a chance to have dinner with him or mm. go to one of his resorts as well.
1: <laughs> wow! Where do you go to get these things?
0: Ah, uh, gosh, he had it on uh, on his on his uh, thing. It, it, it was like I don't know TrumpDigitalTradingCards.com dot com or something.
2: Wow! This is like number but, one story. Yeah. We're like in the top headlines of Drudge right now. <laughs> Major wow. announcement is digital. Oh my god! I'm looking at these things. They're so ridiculous. Yeah.
0: You should see the video, it's hilarious.
1: Is this like the little promo video for it or something?
0: Yeah, it was it was hilarious. My dad couldn't believe it was real. Yeah, they, I showed it to him and he was like, are, "Are you serious? Is this real?"
2: They make him look ripped. <laughs> it's so it, he looks like a like superhero like beyond most superheroes' rippedness.
1: I wonder if they used AI to uh, to do the artwork. Probably. I don't
2: think so. AI, no. AI does way better work. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, that's true. The, the hands aren't messed up on it. <laughs> mm, they
2: Good do point. seem digitally bigger.
1: Let's continue with Renee in Louisiana. Renee, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, I, I have my subject, but I want to make a little comment about that subscription crap. Yeah, that's what happened. That's what happened when you have companies like big tech phone companies and stuff just suck. If anyone's sucking the blood out of capitalism and making people suffer, it's the phone companies and all their constant add a little more here for this thing and that thing, and clean mm-hmm. the phone. And then now the car company wants to get in on the greed action.
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty insulting. And the and the bad news is here, you know, as I was looking at this story about, again, Mercedes-Benz having a uh, subscription service to accelerate an electric car an extra second faster to 60 miles an hour. Apparently, they're not alone. And we mentioned BMW, but at the end of the story here from BBC, so BMW doing uh, heated seats and heated steering wheels, you have to pay an extra 30 bucks a month for that. Uh, But according to this, I was was hoping not to see this. I, I figured Toyota would keep their stuff. Come on. Man, Toyota announced in December of last year that they would charge some drivers $8 a month to remotely start their cars using a key fob. Come on. In 2019, Tesla introduced Acceleration Boost, which makes its Model 3 vehicles accelerate from 0 to 60 half a second faster for a one-time fee of $2,000. Jeez. I mean, we are talking about a software switch. Right, like this. This is not any kind of like they don't need to have an engineer go in there and put a new accelerator in or some sort of new part or swap out uh, something from the engine. This is literally we're flipping a switch in software, and now you can go to sixty miles an hour half a second faster. I wonder
2: how hard it is actually to change it, but yeah,
1: it's some guy sitting at at a computer. When you call him up, you they they swipe your credit card and then they say, "Okay, sir, looks like your credit card cleared." Click. Have That's fun. It. Huh? That's it. Uh, so, Renee, you're as upset about this uh, as uh, as we are, huh?
3: Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Because when will they stop? Uh, will they? Will they charge for tinted windows? Will they charge for each and everything? How expensive right. and ridiculously unlivable is going to be to even have a car?
1: I don't know. Uh, I don't want to find out. Like I said, people need to refuse this stuff. If people pay for it, they're going to keep doing it. Yeah. But if people say, you know what? No, thanks. I'll go over here to this car company. Cause hopefully some car company will stay sane and not shove these quote unquote features right. down people's throats. And they're going to start to get a lot more business from people that want to do cars the old way.
3: I will come up with an analogy from the Simpsons. Uh, you remember the bobsled scene where Simpson kept on whipping them dogs, and they, when he stopped, they turned on him and ganged up on him.
1: I'm afraid it's been a very long time get, since I've watched television. I get the premise.
3: Well, the thing is, uh, the Biden administration it picks and chooses, but he, you know, it's like when it comes to the important infrastructure that works for him. He doesn't care for, about them and it, his choice. I mean, we don't know what the other guy did, but she, they didn't, they didn't even mention she even had a prescription paper for that. Now, whenever. You're I talking travel, about the
1: basketball girl. I want to just clarify. You're talking about the uh, Brittany, I think Grenier is her yes, name, yes, and then yes. uh, the Victor she, Boot was the Russian guy who was released, he was like one of the world's most infamous arms dealers, and he was sentenced to life in prison, I think, here in the United States, or something very extensive, and he'd been in for about a dozen or or ten years or something like that, and the United States literally traded this Russian arms dealer for a girl who got arrested for marijuana possession in Russia.
3: And she didn't even have a prescription for it. If she had a prescription for it, then we could say, oh, well. But, but you know, the, the premise is.
1: Wait, why do you need a prescription? Why? I don't think you can get a prescription for cannabis in Russia, can
3: you? No. Well, if it was a prescription, it should be internationally recognized to degree. She didn't even mention she had one from America for marijuana. She goes there for the more money. I'm glad they're not going back there because who needs to go work for the Russians if they're going to do things like that? The hell with the more money to go pay for you play basketball over there and uh it's just why did why did Biden do it did he do it because she's a woman did he do it because she's lBGT did he do it for because she's uh, a certain political b- brand I mean uh, they didn't even say they shouldn't trade for nobody. Because that guy is that dangerous, that efficient, and that dangerous. That guy had. No yeah, it bang. is an interesting question.
1: Like, the... why was this trade uh, orchestrated? What was the actual motivation behind the scenes? I mean, did Biden think he was going to really win a bunch of political points for this? Because it would seem like I, I mean, mean,
2: he should though, because it's actually a good thing. I mean, I don't really have a problem with weapons trading per se, unless it's purposely done to start conflicts. You know.
1: Yeah, well, I, I also don't really care if uh, Victor Boot is set free or not, because I'm kind of in the same boat as you there, uh, Joe. But, I mean, I'm just looking at it from a political perspective, looking at right. it from what, like, it's what good- does he benefit? How does Biden benefit what? from this? Because there must be a lot of people who are saying, this is crazy. The Biden administration made a big show about all of a sudden caring about people who have been convicted for marijuana-related offenses. Now to well, be Well he did just pardon a bunch of people, right? To be fair, they did pardon people with federal drug possession, or I think marijuana possession specifically. I don't think it was all drug possession. So federal um cases. Right. But they haven't pardoned the people who are in federal prison for selling cannabis. They haven't pardoned the people who are in federal prison for other drug related cases. So forgive me if I, you know, just don't really consider this to be real compassion here. there's a lot of work to do there's some sort of political attempt there's some sort of an angle here that they're taking and they think that trading an arms dealer for a cannabis conviction is somehow a good trade and i'm not real clear on how that is now you mentioned joe that you know you're not really concerned with this boot getting out of prison or whatever but you did want to learn more about him yeah so there's some more here from Deseret news Uh, Where they say that uh, he was arrested, it was uh, 2011, apparently, or he was convicted in 2011, so probably arrested before that. There was a book written about his uh, career called The Merchant of Death, and they say he was dealing weapons and drugs on a vast scale. Criminal organization. FARC, controlled extensive territory in Colombia, and Boot's fleet of aircraft flew in guns and ammunition and ferried out drugs for sale. The arms reportedly originated in Kazakhstan and other parts of Central Asia. He is accused of dealing with al-Qaeda and the Taliban, though he's gone to some lengths to deny those charges. Initially based in Russia, Boot moved his operations to Belgium, then the UAE. Well, uh, uh,
2: unlike the U.S. government, who has given arms and money and whatever else supplies to... Those same terrorist organizations you just mentioned. Yes.
1: Yeah, Afghanistan. Yeah, sure, the Taliban. Uh, not to mention Mexican drug gangs. Right. You know that during the Obama yep. administration. Yep. Fast and furious. Yeah, uh, For years, he kept just ahead of a comprehensive global law enforcement effort to take him down. His conviction indicates... The so-called global rule of law is growing. Look, what this indicates here is, uh, I think what you you know, are alluding to here, Joa, is that the U.S. government's just mad because this guy got the deals and they didn't. Since March 2016, the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia convicted Radovan Karadzic of genocide... He is responsible for the massacre of approximately 8,000 men and boys in Srebnica in 1995. At the time, he was the president of the Bosnia-Serb Republic, a territory seeking to join Serbia. And the ethnic wars of his region was uh, went on from 92 to 95 and involved the first war crimes in Europe since World War II. In July of 2011, the Serbian government officials arrested uh, Goran Hadzic. He was a principal leader of Croatia's Serbs during the ethnically based war and mass murders in the Balkans during the 1990s. Are they going to tie this in with this guy here? I'm not really sure where they're going. They say he was captured. uh, And then before indictment, he lived at uh, the Northern Serbian city of Novi Sad. Despite a price on his head, UN officials joined representatives of an international judicial tribunal overseeing Balkan war crimes and welcoming this benchmark event with his arrest. All 161 individuals indicted for war crimes by the, icty had been captured in 2008 an accused serb war criminal was captured while visiting a graveyard i don't know where they're going with telling oh. all these stories i well, well it doesn't mention anything about boot selling these people weapons it's just, they're right. just going off talking about these all these serb related people I, are we supposed to extrapolate that boot was dealing weapons to them it's like it doesn't say that. It's like here. blaming
2: the the factor that makes air for people breathing. It's like no.
1: Yeah, I'm looking here, and I'm just looking ahead. There's nothing in here about. I, I figured that there would be like a paragraph after this that said, "And boot was the one that sold all these killers their weapons." Yeah, but it yeah. doesn't make it's... a connection here. <laughs> they they start out this story, the first half of the story is all about Victor Boot, and then the last half is all about these Serbian uh, thugs. So I don't know. You know, this guy by the way, uh Chris Canwell was in prison with this guy. This really? boot. Yeah. So I heard this from uh from Chris who's now out, Chris Canwell former host of Free Talk Live, sadly he turned uh into a Nazi and we had to fire him yeah, back yeah. in like I think it was like 2016 and then he ended up at this what was it uh, Charlottesville protest? Right. He kind of made a name for himself, not the, a, in a good the, way, not a crying all. Nazi. The crying Nazi, yeah. <laughs> and uh then he ended up getting arrested. And I would say wrongfully, the federal government did target yeah, Chris Cantwell.
2: Yeah, they try to angle things like, you know, they didn't get Al Capone on murder.
1: Right. And Chris <laughs> canwell you know, he may be an a hole. Oh, you know, definitely. But he's not a violent criminal. He didn't get convicted of being a violent person but he went to prison for like two plus years in federal prison on crimes quote-unquote crimes of like an interstate threat basically he said something mean to another nazi over a telegram chat oh my god and they seriously went after him with criminal charges for this rather than just simply allowing the nazis to argue with one another on the internet which is basically all they were doing they were just having stupid internet spats from a thousand miles away from one another, with Insane. no real chance of actually doing anything uh, to one another. But the feds were, of course, monitoring these chat rooms because that's what they do, right? Like yeah. they they integrate themselves into all kinds of political movements, and so they were watching the stuff go down. And they brought criminal charges against Chris, and he got found he got found guilty for that's it. Crazy. So he spent two years. In a federal prison, in a what they call a communications management unit. Hey, like I said before, government hates competition, <laughs> so they can't have a better Nazi out there than them. Wait, wait, what do you mean by that?
2: Well, government's not—they're a bunch of Nazis.
1: Well, sure. I mean, they are certainly socialists. Um, how many of them are racists? Oh, I, uh, I I Biden's definitely racist.
2: He hears like eighty, like nineteen eighty speeches in in Congress it was pretty yeah. racist. He
1: says some weird things about black people. Yeah, right in Oregon uh, you may have heard that in 2020 the uh, psilocybin was legalized there but only in a highly regulated therapeutic setting now of course Oregon on the same ballot at a different vote so same ballot but a different initiative they also essentially decriminalized all personal amounts of various different types of drugs so Oregon to their credit has really moved in a really positive direction as far as the you know ending the insane war on drugs now this doesn't mean that the war on drugs is over it's just a, a step in the right direction if you have more than a personal use amount you will be you know presumably arrested for some sort of serious criminal charge but if it's uh, they were they were mar- sort of setting this system up to be like portugal where for about the last 20 years they've had this form of decrim where you can have any any kind of drug a small amount of it and if you get caught with it in Portugal what they do to you is they give you ticket they take the drug so it's still not a perfect system yeah but they uh, they basically give you a ticket and they say you got to show up to this drug class okay or else you got to pay a hundred dollars or a hundred euro or, or whatever the amount is and so you know then people go to the drug class and then they you know that's they go through better it that's it it's better it's better than going to prison. That's yeah. for sure, and it yeah. uh, it frees up a lot of court time and it frees up a lot of police resources and things like that. And so Oregon is trying something very similar there now uh, and it's still you know pretty early. They've only really had this uh, decrim in place for the last year or so roughly. So, it'll be interesting to look back after, say, a few years have gone by and see whether or not things have gone absolutely crazy with, you know, drug addled people everywhere. I, I, I think, don't think it will. I, I think, think
2: one of the big factors in, like, this heavy drug use and the addictions is that people are, like, embarrassed by it and they hide themselves and they sure. keep themselves in secret. When you have the ability to do it amongst other people and, like, you put other people in check, you, like, you able to give them that hard love and be like hey yo man you're kind of overdoing this yeah you know you might want to calm it down and i think that's where you know having a safe environment allows for that social sort of uh um, support system yeah support yeah. system in it all people so.
1: who are in that you're right the people who are in that situation and they saw this in portugal where instead of a bunch of addicts dying from overdose what they saw was people they had fewer addicts because they were more likely to get help. They are more likely to actually go and talk to a doctor instead of being afraid that the doctor is going to call the police and have them arrested or something like that. The addicts, again, not, addicts aren't always going to act rationally, no, but no. in the case where they know they're not going to go to prison for their addiction, they may actually be more likely to seek help. That's right. So they actually saw addiction go down. So I bet you that's what we're going to see in Oregon In the next couple years is the number of addicts has gone down. I haven't seen any headlines about that yet. The story here from KATU.com that despite the election results in Oregon, it has uh, become clear where the therapeutic use of psilocybin, commonly known as magic mushrooms, will be available. Measure 109 did pass in 2020, which allowed municipalities to opt out of legalizing by sending it to the voters again. So what happened? They did this year. Each county, apparently, or maybe some counties didn't even, maybe some counties just said, no, we're not going to even put this on the ballot. But the ones that wanted this to change, they, it was on the ballot. And 25 of the counties in Oregon opted to uh, opt out of this, including over 100 cities in Oregon. During a meeting leading up to the election, many of the state's rural county and city officials expressed concerns that allowing the hallucinogen in controlled settings would open up a door for black market manufacturing and sales. Do these people not understand what a black market is? The black market operates despite whatever your stupid rules are. Right, right the mushrooms are already in eastern oregon before 2020 you didn't need to they're everywhere right i mean
2: they literally grow everywhere too (laughs) right uh
1: i mean i've never had experience with growing the uh, the mushrooms but as i understand it all you have to do is order some completely legal spores by the way right the spores are legal you get like some kind of uh syringe or something i yeah. think that has the spores in it and then you just have to set up like an aquarium with the right kind of it has to have the right humidity and yep. temperature or something like that and then these things grow sterile environment right all you
2: got to do is uh boil some cow poo mm-hmm. uh and uh really sift it yeah sift it off you want to boil it get rid of some of the toxins but um use that as a base and mm-hmm. you pour it across uh um Popcorn kernels in a really? jar. Yeah, this is like how people do it. And uh, you can then you uh, inoculate it with the you spores. Yeah, the spores to it.
1: Yep. And then uh, how long is it? Do you know how long it takes to get it's, them to grow?
2: From what I know, mushrooms grow pretty quick. Mm-hmm. It's weeks, a couple weeks uh, as they stop popping. I don't wow. know. I actually have never done it myself. I'm just telling you that I know You've how to do it. You've known people. Uh, well, I've, I've seen the You've process. have seen it. Okay,
1: okay. I'm sure anybody who wants to research this can oh, yeah, easily find the uh the resources to uh, to do it but it's the probably point, the easiest thing to grow. Yeah, I wonder about that too. Now you probably have to be on the lookout for other forms of mold that you probably don't want in there would be yeah. my guess. So you do have to make sure you control the conditions right, but Damn Tyrants. The point is here mushrooms are already available. The black market is already in Eastern Oregon. This has been going on for decades. It's probably easier now than it has ever been, thanks to internet, right? Like, you know, back in the old days, you probably had to know a guy to get a, a hold of some sports, so right? By the way, magic mushrooms are the next frontier in drug decriminalization and legalization. I don't know if you've been paying attention, Joe, to the different areas of the country that have started to decriminalize these things. Have you seen any of this? Not really, not particularly. Uh, so it started with Denver, Colorado. Yep. Uh, I believe they were the first city in the United States to decriminalize... Not like Oregon did. Oregon said they wanted to legalize just for therapeutic sessions, meaning that you would have to be with a psychologist or something and then right. be in their office and then they would be authorized to give you a dose of uh, of magic mushrooms and then you'd have a therapy session with them. That's the only way it's legal in Oregon right now. And now 25 Oregon counties, including 100 cities, have just undone that, and they've re-prohibited mushrooms for all reasons or whatever. Well, now they're going to have a problem,
2: (laughs) you know, like they had before. You want no problem, you just allow it, and people can figure it out on their own. Well,
1: the black market was never going to go away because it was still not allowed. It was still under the control of the therapeutic. But Denver did do decrim for recreational purposes. I believe Santa Cruz out in California followed suit. Oakland, there have been a few West Coast cities. There have actually been a couple of Massachusetts towns that have done this. The Supreme Court of New Hampshire overturned a guy's conviction last, or two years ago, I think it was, December of, I think it was 2020, overturned a guy's conviction at the superior court level. The Supreme Court of New Hampshire said, no, this guy was using mushrooms for spiritual purposes for religious purposes and the new hampshire's constitution the right to express your religion the right to to worship is is protected in the new hampshire constitution which is stronger than the u.s constitution the u.s constitution says you have a so-called right to religion but in new hampshire you have a right to worship how you want so it's a much more like protected status right and so they they literally set this guy free now unfortunately the the legislature has not undone the stupid law it's still illegal quote-unquote right. in new hampshire but it's sort of for for spiritual purposes for real religious purposes it's de facto legal has this been introduced to the new legislative uh, sessions not this year but last year it was oh so they don't do
2: it two years in a row they typically? can't do
1: it two years in a row Ah. Uh. Uh, but there is a bill this year to completely abolish the war on drugs entirely. I like that. In New Hampshire. That'd be nice. Yeah. I guess that is another one. Matt Santanastasso, the nightcap rep, was the one that nice. uh, to put that forward, which is awesome. Nice, nice. So yeah, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. You should be responsible
2: for anything you do in your life, you know? So, Whether you're
1: on drugs or not. Right, exactly. Yes.
2: So yeah. when you are doing drugs, you might want to have an environment where you feel comfortable doing those drugs.
1: Absolutely. Especially a right. psychedelic drug. Exactly. So, uh, let me get back to this story, though, because you know they they talked to some people, right? Like it's this a report from katu dot com about these twenty five counties that have now recriminalized the therapeutic use of mushrooms after they had been legalized two years prior at the uh, the state level uh, ballot. Now the counties have voted to recriminalize the Jackson County. Commissioner Colleen Roberts, during a meeting in July, said, quote, I do have concerns. We're a little head shy about time, place and manner because of what happened with marijuana. She said, well, what happened with marijuana? What's, what's got stronger? <laughs> nah, I don't think so, man. I mean, it's been pretty strong for a very long yeah. time. Yeah. Some officials expressed concern that rolling out the rules would be a trial and error process. McMinnville City Council Adam Garvin said, I just know how bad the state stumbled with the rollout of the marijuana stuff. Being involved with that firsthand, he said. Advocates for the treatment argue that unlike marijuana, magic mushrooms can be cultivated in a small indoor space, providing little incentive to illegal growers to create a legal front in states that allow the substance. You can grow a little bit of marijuana, too. You don't have to. You don't have to dedicate an entire room to that stuff. I knew a dude who grew some marijuana in his closet. Okay, yeah, you can so grow it outside. Can be done. <laughs> uh, providing, uh, let's see here. Advocates say the substance could save lives, and some research shows it's been effective in aiding with depression, PTSD, and addiction. We've covered a lot of that research here on Free Talk Live over the years. In fact, I've got some some fresh stories about it that we can share with you. Just like tonight. last week
2: of the guy uh,
1: taking mushrooms and. St-
2: Standing out of his wheelchair.
1: Oh, my God. Wasn't that amazing? Yeah. That's, Literally. It's a powerful story. A crippled guy takes mushrooms, had no expectation of it. You know, like, he didn't know what was going to happen. He just wanted to, you know, go on a trip at a music concert, uh, like an electronic music show. And then all of a sudden, he's tapping his toe. All of a sudden, he's he's Fantastic. walking. And then they're just now trying to to research this. Anyway, Bob and Amber Parnell are both veterans and have been married for 27 years. In June, the two attended a psilocybin treatment in Jamaica, where it is legal. So this is kind of like a a hot new thing. It used to ha- it used to be that if you wanted to take like a therapeutic mushroom session, you had to like go into the Amazon jungle and like travel for you know hours into the forest and then meet with like a witch doctor or some sort of a shaman who was going to take you on this journey. So home rule is not what New Hampshire has. So it's whatever the opposite of home rule is. There's a, I don't, there's probably a right, term for it, but I don't right. know what it is offhand.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. Anyway, about.
1: reverse home rule or whatever, non, non-home rule, where basically in New Hampshire, in order for a city to be able to pass an ordinance, it has to have essentially an approval from the state government first. And so normally you would think decentralization is a good thing, but not when it comes to tyrants. Right, Because these little tyrants that are in these towns, they would love to have more oh, control. Yeah. Oh, they would yeah. love to be able to pass all the crazy laws that they want to pass. That's how you end up with places like Chicago right. and New York City. Uh, so there's really something to be said for having a, a ser- fairly rural state. Because like our biggest quote-unquote city is Manchester, where you live, Joe. And there's like 125,000 people there. So I live right here, Ian. But, well, that's true. You live on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... Uh, <laughs> in manchester it's not a very big city right like as, as far as the scale of cities are concerned right it no it's the definitely not the biggest city i've ever lived in so the majority of people in new hampshire live outside of manchester and that's a good and that's thing.
2: actually smart too right. i'm really stupid for yeah. living in no you not no it's, it's, it's a city it's an ugly <laughs> no, city. I, I, hey i gotta give chris city's city some credit there's a place to make money
1: you know yeah it's a city sure i mean there's, there's a lot of opportunity there and there's a lot of free staters that that live there right. and there's a lot of uh things that are Easy going to on.
2: organize with, yeah but that's a lot of people
1: so that's a good thing
2: and it's not uh, too far from the country too so like you know i just saw uh the movie uh, died suddenly over mm, in where yeah. and uh that was a you know a little bit out into the country-ish you know there's did they download wood.
1: the whole movie before they played it Yes, it didn't okay, die good. suddenly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh anyway, we're talking about how these people in the the cities like in Oregon for instance, Portland's got a lot of people, right? Like so Portland voters can can move a, a poll in one direction or another to some extent. I so, hope so I but unfortunately it means that the people who wanted to do mushroom therapy in Oregon, if they live in Eastern Oregon, now they got to drive all the way to Portland to go and do a therapy session. So they're still going to be able to do it. They're just not going to be able to give their business to a therapist in their county. Right? So, well,
2: sometimes a Stupid. day trip is just as effective as a mushroom trip because it's a perspective change. Sure, that's true. It doesn't <laughs> so hurt to, by to, the time you get there, it's like, do we really want to take mushrooms now?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're looking at the bright side of this uh, and everything. <laughs> but know, unfortunately, it, it does mean that there's going to be more people arrested uh, in these areas. And that's that's sad because, you know, as they're pointing out here at KATU.com, Uh, They talked to a couple of uh, military veterans, and by the way, these military veterans are critical to making mushrooms legal all around the country. There's certain countries where you can go, and Jamaica's one of them. I don't think it's legal in Mexico, but it's kind of like it might be tolerated. Right. But in Jamaica, it's actually straight up legal. So they have these resorts now. Cool. So instead of having to go into like the jungle to meet with a uh, a shaman at like some remote location, right. you just go to some you know really fancy resort. You pay you know a few hundred bucks a day or something like that, and uh, you know you spend a thousand bucks and you get a nice vacation in Jamaica. And they give you multiple doses of mushrooms over a one week long trip.
2: I'm sure they're very well educated. Uh, and all kinds of aspects of that, if they're doing it, and if they had a lot of customers, they they've seen every angle of how people act and, and react. They had yeah. to you know handle situations. I yeah. think that's great. They're fine tuning this experience right to allow you to have you know a life changer. Exactly. And, and I think that's what's super important about this. You know, making it illegal. Okay, maybe you're gonna. Uh, I've never seen this, but maybe you're gonna go in the alleyway and eat your mushrooms in the corner. Don't do that. That's, that's, that's the government point. way,
1: guys, because you know it's illegal. You can't do it out in broad daylight. Right. This You're right. This brings it out into the daylight. This brings it out into society. It allows for, as you're saying, people to develop better systems and better, safer environments for people. Because for anybody that's ever done a psychedelic, you know that it's that set and setting that is the most important thing. That is the number one most important thing is to be in a place where you're comfortable, to be yes. in a place where you're surrounded by people that care about you people you know yes. and you feel comfortable with and that's that's always been the sort of the mantra of the psychedelic user and having a, an actual place that you can go and pay to provide that to you is mm-hmm. a good thing because it it opens this experience up to people that don't already have friends within the like the psychedelic community right because right. if you knew somebody like let's say our friend nobody he's he's uh sort of known for helping people through a bad trip or you know he can trip sit for you and that that kind yeah. of thing uh, you don't know somebody like that, you probably shouldn't do a psychedelic because you don't have uh, that guide, right. somebody who's been through it before, to be there with you. And you don't want to do that by yourself for the first time, for sure. So this opens that up. Unless you have good conscience and you can probably handle it, but like you should always... Yeah. you know, I wouldn't just recommend in general, it. Yeah. Wouldn't, not recommended recommend by it. Ian.
2: No, I, I don't Slap it on the I, side of your bag of mushrooms. I don't okay? think
1: I don't think it's uh, it's a good idea to recommend a psychedelic experience for somebody alone at, at all. I, the first time, I I agree. You, and you I don't know what you're that, getting yeah. into. You really don't. Yeah. Um, even if you even if you dip your toes into it, like you don't do a full dose or whatever, you know, you still you never know. So, um, and I'm not saying you should be afraid of it. Don't ever go into this stuff with with fear right. either but it's that's one of the reasons you want to have somebody who's nearby right. with experience because it they will yeah. your your mind won't wander in there. the wrong place kind They've of been thing. There. Uh so Amber and Bob Amber had reserved the experience of the retreat he said because I suffered from alcoholism said Bob explaining that reintegrating into civilian life after retiring from the military had left him feeling hopeless. He said, "At one point I was a first sergeant, so I was responsible for people's lives, people's training, and I had a mission to help other soldiers. When I retired from the go- when I retired, going from military to civilian life honestly was a shock because it wasn't the guy on my right and the guy on my left are looking out for me. The guy on my right and the guy on my left are looking to stab me in the back so they can take my position." He said, and "I'm sorry he feels that way. I don't know if that's true everywhere." Uh, he said that coupled with the lack of structure that exacerbated his ADHD triggered him to drink excessively. Amber, his wife, who uh, said the retreat, which they attended together, not only helped him with his addiction recovery, which is, by the way, there's been studies done on this where people who have problems with alcohol can take a dose of mushrooms in a therapeutic setting and they can literally be done with their addiction to alcohol. Wow. The Parnells say they feel the treatment coupled with therapy and a willingness to change could be the formula that many need to survive. They said, or his wife said, "quote We talked about a lot of cravings, or about a lot about cravings and things." And he says it's just completely different to me. It's a life saving thing, and I get really passionate about the fact that it's not accessible. She said, "The treatment is now legal in twenty of Oregon's most populated cities and eleven counties where the measure passed. So twenty five counties made it illegal, and eleven counties kept it legal. Six counties." Uh, They show here, saw officials sending an opt-out measure back to their electorate, despite the fact that it passed in 2020. Of those counties, several of them flipped, voting to opt out of legalizing the hallucinogen, and Jackson and Deschutes counties both voted to allow it again. November 23rd, Jackson County commissioners are set to decide whether to approve time, place, and manner restriction recommendations made by planning commissioners. As though you need some centralized government bureaucrat to decide when, where, and how you can meet with a therapist. Because remember, we're not talking about decrim here for all mushroom use. We're not talking about uh, just going out and buying mushrooms, which you should be able to do. You know you should be able to grow your own you should be able to buy it you should be able to sell it no that's not what they have there we're talking about you going to a therapist a licensed government approved therapist and paying way too much money because there's no competition right. in order to have that therapist hold your hand through right. a mushroom for something that grows in your basement you know or outside on some outside, cow
3: yeah
2: you know you can go on a hike and then maybe you can find some you can eat some and there's no government eyes
1: to see you do it now be very careful what you eat. Indeed. Uh, so anyway, the story goes on uh, with some unnecessary details, but that's the main takeaway here. Is it's really sad to see the prohibitionist mindset is still alive and well, despite the fact that there have been there's been so much evidence, and it's gonna this process is gonna be just like the marijuana process, where it's gonna take years probably to get these things overturned. Now. That may not be the case here in New Hampshire, and I am optimistic here, even though New Hampshire is slow to change, and that is both a good thing and a bad thing, because it means it's hard to pass new laws in New Hampshire. So that's the good side of it, right. but the bad side of it is if there is a law that's been passed, right. like it's drug prohibition, it's even harder.
2: It's hard to get rid that's of. That's like it. everywhere too.
1: But no, it's 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 New Hampshire makes it harder. particularly hard. Um, but uh, but ultimately, we've got freedom-loving people moving here. And so we're, the numbers of freedom-loving people in the state legislature are on the increase. And we're starting to see, of course, drug decriminalization, drug legalization is a kind of both sides of the aisle issue. Yeah. We got Cindy on the line listening via Facebook. Cindy uh, says she's new to the show. Welcome, Cindy. You're on Free Talk Live.
4: Hi, guys. How hey, are you? Hey, what's Hello. on your mind? Hey, I just... Um, I just run into you, don't really know much about your show, don't know really where you're streaming from except Facebook, so I don't know what other sources you're streaming on. Um, but with the holidays coming up, uh, a lot of families out there alone, a lot of people needing, um, you know, a lot of, missing um, a lot of people, um, mm-hmm. a lot of people going through certain things in life. and. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres, you know, lost a very important person in in her life uh, yesterday. And um, I have been a target of online bullying. So I just recently just closed down my social media um, page because of it. Mm. Um, And so I don't know exactly where you're streaming at, but I just want to just give a word out there. Um, I also saw in 60 minutes that there was a little girl who took her life due to it.
1: You know, it's really sad. I mean, we've heard these stories over the years of it usually tends to be younger people, but you sound like, I mean, I don't want to guess at how old you are. You don't sound like you're in high school or something like that. I mean, am I right? You sound like maybe you're in your 30s or so. 40s?
4: I'm actually almost 50.
1: Okay, 50. So, But you are being victimized, as you say, by online bullying. People are um, saying mean things to you or about you on the internet?
4: Oh, absolutely. It, mm-hmm. uh, I started a page about to raise awareness about my medical condition. Okay. And uh, some of the things that I was going through, it took a while to get diagnosed. Um, and um, it just turned out to um I, I can't even tell you some of the things
2: that, that oh I can only imagine I've been I've definitely been trolled and bullied and all sorts of things online so I know how you feel and it is a it is a hard time while it's happening um I tell you what though let it be let it make you stronger because you let these people get you down then you're not gonna win you got to fight through it and just knowing that there are haters out there should motivate you to keep going.
4: I had colon cancer, and they had to um, recreate certain areas of my anatomy, and they actually were making pages um, talking about those certain areas of my anatomy um, and getting very graphic in there, and during the process of me being diagnosed, I went through extensive hospital visits and stage where they did not know what was going on with me. Um, It was very brutal. Um, And so I would like video myself at the hospital Mm -hmm. fighting with these doctors and them saying, well, you know, sorry, we don't know what's going on. So I would video it just for evidence. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't post it anywhere. I would just have it in my little portfolio in my phone. Um, And then... After I was finally diagnosed, I I have a lawyer on my case now for malpractice. But I don't know if if it's your phone, Cindy. I'm
1: sorry, but you you're kind of fading in and out. I don't know if it's an issue with your phone or the connection. But can you make sure you oh, keep on. that thing near your your face? Maybe it's kind of not not close enough or
4: something. Well, I have a. Can you hear me now? Oh yes. yeah, that's much better. Okay, I had it on my speaker. Okay, but, thank um, you. I I had um. Some videos on my phone that I uploaded to my YouTube for privacy, and mm-hmm. somehow they had leaked them out. I don't wow. know if they Ooh. hacked them or whatever, mm. and they had disclosed them to the public, and they were not... Meant to be public,
2: and they weren't flattering, is what you mean, and
4: very much not flattering at all. Now,
1: and, did, um, do you have a following? Did you have like a, a you know a certain number of followers prior to these? Uh, you know, this medical condition. Are you a like a, a personality online, or are these just no, no, random no, no, people?
4: No, I wanted to. Well, I wasn't raising money for for mm-hmm. this at, at all. This was not about money. Mm-hmm. This was to let women know if they were going through certain issues in their body, that this could possibly be something that they mm. might want to research.
1: We have Beware Mouse on the line in Colorado. Go ahead, Beware Mouse. Hello,
5: how are you doing today? What's on your mind uh, tonight? I want to bring up the uh, topic just briefly about the bullies. Um, I do a little bit of work on YouTube as well, and the bullies on there are actually tremendous. But the thing of it is, it took me a little a little while to realize I wasn't talking to the bullies. I was talking to everyone else. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, so, um, you know, you can't get away from the same percentage of people you could not get along with in in high school. There's a certain amount of people that were doing strange things that you will never get along with. Guess what? Those people get older with you. Mm -hmm. I'm 60 years old. I can find plenty of people I wouldn't have associated with in high school.
1: Sure. (laughs) Same here. Well, so, the good uh, news is most of them are hiding behind a screen these days. You know, it's not like the same thing. If there was like some sort of thug threatening to stab you if you didn't give them your lunch money or something like that. Today, it's just a bunch of cowards hanging out behind a computer. Yeah, keyboard monitor. warriors. Yeah.
5: Well, that's a that's an interesting thing. But I've noticed something. It used to be that uh, communities mean, meant that we were communing together,
1: mm-hmm.
5: and it wasn't that long ago that we were communing in person. That's true. And now uh, they have us all community on Twitter, Facebook, whatever have you. And then we turn around, and then they get locked down. Mm. So that's the only community that we can do.
2: And this is why it I love New like Hampshire. A
5: little bit of a pattern to me.
2: I go off on that again, there, Joe. I was going well, to say the, the same thing. This is why Please. I love New Hampshire because uh, there is a community here. We do meet in person. We do discuss how you know we can you know solve certain problems like food and. Um, Whatever, what, whatever, whatnot. Like we have market days, you know. We get together uh, multiple
1: times a, a week. A lot. Yeah, you yeah, can, you can do so much in person. If you're a libertarian, yeah. voluntarist, liberty-loving anarchist, there's a community here that is so large you couldn't possibly do everything that's going on. Like, I know my neighbors. I actually know my neighbors and I talk with
2: them. And, wow, that's a really you know, cool thing. That's a Yeah.
1: Like, even the people that you don't know in New Hampshire, they're more friendly here, at they least are. than where I came from. I don't know what it was like in Rhode Island but Surely, uh, no, not, not but, nearly as friendly. But it, that's well, I interesting. I can tell
5: you one thing go about ahead. society. Yes, sir. I can tell you one thing about society. When I was growing up, again, I was 60 years old.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: When, when I went to junior high, we had two lockers at school. One was for fishing gear. The other one was for guns. Wow. And we would bring our guns into school. We had a uh, shooting team that was uh, their biggest aspiration was to go to the Olympics.
1: Joe is in Maryland. You're on Free Talk Live, Joe.
6: I also came up with a second story I was going to tell you about. Uh, We call it, Uh, I'm going to go to the doctors. And I I have a Facebook uh, thing that that lady was talking about, Cindy, Mm -hmm. that I just replied to a person today. And so I'll tell you about that, too. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to go to the doctors and we'll see my primary physician next week. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I see my pain management doctors on uh, in January. By the way, so, you are uh,
1: calling from a hospital bed in your own home. You've called multiple times. Yeah, you're you're there twenty four hours a day, basically, right?
6: Yeah, basically. Um, I I have a uh, electric wheelchair. I can get in and out. Oh, you okay. Know, gotcha. But I I can move a bit. But I'm. I'm in a hospital bed. Let's say an average of. 22 hours a day, mm-hmm. at least. That's wow, including wow, times wow. I have to go to doctor's appointments and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm always in here if I'm not going out to a doctor's appointment. So, uh, we call, you said his name was Harris. He was uh, National Geographic, and uh, he took psilocybin at a biker rally.
1: Right. Yeah, this was uh, last week. The story was about a gentleman who was a photographer and like an adventurer, like a mountain climber type, very outdoorsy uh, guy who had become crippled, spinal injury, I think it was, and he could not move his legs. He took a dose of mushrooms at an electronic music festival and it began his healing process and he could walk again.
6: Right, so I'm going to ask my uh, doctors to uh, look that up and ask them, if that worked for him, could I just take a couple of doses to see if it were, would work for me?
1: Maybe it's a good idea. It couldn't I, hurt I to ask. I don't know what life. the legal status of it right. is there in uh, in Maryland.
6: Yeah. Well, like I said, I'm just going to ask. Sure. And, uh, and tell them, you know, I never did drugs in my life, so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, it's not like I'm trying to get high or something like that. I want to walk. Yeah. I'd be willing to try, try like, anything. Absolutely. Yeah. He said he would, uh, you know, one leg, he'd be walking like Frankenstein cause his left leg wasn't uh, responding good and stuff. So I'd just give sure. him the whole story and ask him what the deal is. Also the guy who wrote the book, Jesus was a mushroom. I think his name was Terence McKenna.
1: Okay. Terrence McKenna. McKenna. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know and, that he wrote it, that book, but he certainly has written well, many the, books about psychedelics. The-
7: This is Mark Edge coming to you from the Free Cities Conference, and it's been a really wonderful time, and I have been just interviewing lots of different people here for uh, Locating Liberty and also the Liberty Radio Network that you can find at lrn.fm, and well... My career has reached a new pinnacle because I never thought this was going to happen. I, Mark Edge, the voluntarist, am interviewing Prince Philip. Prince Philip, tell me more about this title.
8: At that point, people will be wanting to know which Prince Philip is it. <laughs> no, Prince Philip of Serbia and Yugoslavia. I, I, You could say Yugoslavia because that's when the monarchy was abolished in 1945, and it was Yugoslavia. So the title sort of still stands, but now it's Serbia. My family is of Serbian origin. We, it's Prince Philip of Yugoslavia.
7: Very good. So, do you have a do you have a palace? Do you rule from on high? Do you uh, stand at a mountain and uh, shake your arms at people?
8: I live in Belgrade with my wife, Serbian wife, and our son, four and a half year old Stefan. My wife is called uh, Danica. My son is Stefan, and I live. I actually live downtown. I live close to our people. I moved back two years ago when uh, when things went south with uh, with COVID, and I took my job, which was in finance, and it was working. I was working remotely, and I was able to move to Serbia. I always wanted to move to Serbia, and that gave me a chance to move there. And then I stuck around. I quit my job to move full time into bitcoin.
7: So, um, let me see if i've got this right. You are the uh, you know the the heir to the throne of Serbia and
8: Yugoslavia. Well, actually it's my father is the heir. if there was a throne in Yugoslavia it'll be my father. I do have an older brother, but he abdicated this year. It was something that we've always discussed for many many years and it just finally happened this year. We made it official, I guess. So, yeah, I'm now second in, uh, second in line, after my, first in line after my father.
7: So you're the first in the line of succession to the uh, throne of Serbia and Yugoslavia, which is a non-functioning role at this time.
8: Non-functioning at this time. We are just recognized by the people there as the royal family we have a lot of recognition by I mean it was uh the kingdom was uh was a very prosperous time and communism happened a lot of a lot of mon- a lot of monarchists left the country yugoslavia and, and and there's a lot of still support for bringing back the monarchy today and i'm hoping to grow on that
7: i um i will briefly step down from my interview and uh, make a few positive statements which is is that i find that um you know the queen of england has made the monarchy uh or the, the the now passed you know, the late queen of england um made the monarchy very interesting to me as a person who believes in people's rights and these sorts of things uh certainly kings have a very dubious history but at the same time today they're often tourist attractions they're 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 things that people can look at and you know feel a sense of community with other people and as long as you're not running around shaking a scepter at people and telling them what to do i have no problems
8: well there's the Misconception, I think with uh, monarchies, I think a lot of people, yes, there is some history with some bad monarchs out there, but I think there's more history of bad dictatorships. And it's quite often that uh, monarchies and dictatorships are grouped together, especially absolute monarchies. But then you look at societies around absolute monarch- monarchies and you find that they're the most peaceful and prosperous, long-lasting societies out there. Take the example of absolute monarchies in the Middle East. So you have the ones like Jordan, Oman, and Saudi Arabia. People can question their methods, but they are the most peaceful and long-lasting in terms of many uh, metrics. But then you look at places like Iraq, Syria. Syria was a monarchy for one year, apparently. Anyway, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, and places like that. And what do they have in common? They've It's tumultuous uh, recent, recent, recent history. So there is a case for monarchy.
7: Yeah, I've read some of the cases for monarchy, and I'm. Uh, I think it's very interesting. It's a family business, right? So they have every reason to try to preserve peace and continuity. I uh, tend to uh, agree with these statements. I'm not going to advocate for monarchies, but I do like the idea of European monarchies, where we have a legislature uh, working with the monarch as the chief executive. I think that this is a you know these are fascinating ideas. But I think more interesting is, is just sort of well, there you are. You're the the prince of uh, Serbia and that's that's cool but what is the prince of serbia doing at a uh, a free
8: cities conference i support the idea i'm i guess i am a bitcoiner i am a, i guess i'm a libertarian i support the idea of also anarcho of of ancap and i believe that uh, monarchy actually can bring a a role side by side with ancap and uh, and, and and an absolute monarchy in place one that's the monarchy has everything it's, it needs and the community and, and the society is built around and I think the missing piece over here is Bitcoin finally you have perfect money and people from there can build generational wealth the king is merely just a care holder caretaker of traditions of culture and of family values and a king as we as you know his philosophy of, is what one of, of low type preference meaning it's thinking it has to make decisions that last for forever if it makes a bad decision, it's not going to last very long. So I think there is there is an opportunity that, um, that monarchies can come back with Bitcoin attached to it. I believe this country is some like Liechtenstein, for example. That's an interesting uh, monarchy that was working very well with this uh, self-determination. Where they can vote them, they can vote the king. The I say the prince, the king, the prince. It's a principality. They can vote them, uh, can vote the prince out and, and vote the monarchy out. But no one's done so because Liechtenstein is very, very prosperous. And I believe that Prince Hans Adam, who's a libertarian, who's written a fantastic book, um, "The State in the Twenty First Century," state in the uh, The State in the Third Millennium." That's it. Yeah.
7: The State in the Third Millennium. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah.
8: <laughs> And he puts forward a very good argument, and he says, on the missing piece to his argument he there's no solution, but now there is bitcoin
7: yeah, I think it uh, I, I I'm very interested in the idea, so if you what you're saying is is if the monarch doesn't have the ability to shave the gold, gold coins or punch holes in the gold coins
8: that's get, that basically that's what bitcoin fixes. And on top of that, monarchies there's a synergy. Is there is obviously with the low time preference thinking, always thinking about long time you know, intergenerational wealth, about the long long uh, long term decision making, but also a strong strong um, sense of uh, of of individual property rights, and it's something I have very dear to me because everything was stolen away from our family in 1945, Second World War, when the communists took everything, and they're still to this day nothing's been returned. This wouldn't have happened under a uh, under a Bitcoin standard with a with a, with a with the monarchy actually func- functioning, and well, it just wouldn't have. It just this is why we Bitcoin. Bitcoin is about individual property rights, and I believe that a monarch a monarchy under a Bitcoin standard really would be practicing these 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 ideals, and they haven't they have no choice but to practice these the, the ideals. So.
7: I think this is interesting. So I will admit, in 20 years of doing broadcast, I have been left flat-footed in interviews a few times, but um, never in my life did I find myself trying to figure out how a monarchy would work within a, a free culture. I want to get there. I'm, it's going to take me a second to get there. I, you know, just give me uh, give me a second. So essentially, what the the premise here is is that you know the the chief executive, this is the king, um, that is it's a generation. Chief Executive that, uh, you know, sort of holds the country together with uh, their, you know, the creation of community and family values and these sorts of things just sort of gives everybody something to, uh, you know, to sort of uh, believe in and, and understand. And so long as they don't do the things that King's. And you're right. The history of monarchy has been far more replete with good monarchs than bad. I will uh, concur with you on that. The the, the, so long as they don't draft people into militaries, uh, you know, toss people in dungeons without trials, um, you know, shave the coins and a variety of things that uh, kings have done uh, throughout the, the centuries. I can see. Yeah. I mean, you know, like who did the Queen of England ever hurt?
8: Well, this, she was from a uh, di- diluted form of monarchy. I mean, in constitutional, parliamentary monarchy is not ideal because it's attached to democracy. And I'm not keen on democracy. I think uh, a good book to read on this is uh, Hans Hermann Hopper's uh, Democracy, The God That Failed," that puts forward a very good case for monarchy. And he's a, he's an archo-capitalist. He, he gets it. And, see, it's, it's almost um, unintuitive, the whole idea of going back into the past and bringing back absolute monarchism but what's what this this i this idea of, of mine was well, not idea of mine the way i've been thinking about this is actually thanks to bitcoin i wasn't that into monarchy maybe f- uh 10 years ago until i discovered bitcoin 7 8 years ago and i started to un- get that lone timer preference i um philosophy into my life until I met my wife had my son and wanted to leave a better future for him I was I wasn't really into the idea of monarchy but this libertarian ANCAP philosophy of, uh, of Bitcoin led me to become more of a monarchist
7: Help me out with the history of this. I, you know, I mean, I, I know as much as any American, right? So, so it was a Serbian who uh, shoots the Archduke Francis Ferdinand in, uh, let's call it 1915. Uh, maybe it's 1911?
8: 11. yeah, it was 1911. Yeah, yeah, In Sarajevo, yeah. Which led to the First World War, essentially. Yeah, blame, blame the Serbians, as everyone else does. <laughs> well,
7: I'm, what I'm curious of is, is that um, this is the ruler of the Austro Hungarian, or the, the heir to the throne of the Austro Hungarian Empire. Um what where was your family at this time?
8: In Serbia. This was uh during the time when King Peter the 1st was in power. He was brought to power in 1903. The obranovic dynasty was the rival dynasty, dynasty 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 that um was there was there were Taken down because they weren't very popular with the people, but this is how, why you know they made bad decisions. They were taken down. Peter King Peter I First was brought back into uh, brought into the in power in 1903, and he led he led Serbia to uh, move away from Austro-Hungarian influence to uh, I mean influence uh, Austro-Hungarian um, control and move and have better relations with the West and the and and the Russians, the Russian Empire, and the Austro-Hungarians they immediately imposed economic sanctions on us it was it was quite difficult but in a, in a few years only king peter managed to move all the trade with the western and, and the russian empire and this really was quite an undertaking but he did he managed um but of course the first world war happened i mean it was this was not the this wasn't the serbs that who who uh, it was a serbian who killed but it was why, why it would be interesting of, my, of Peter I to do this. I think the First World War was in the interest of central banks to do this. King Peter I was um, – he liberated the south, of Koso, the, the south of Serbia, which is Kosovo, Metokhia, and Macedonia from the Ottomans. That's how the dynasty came about is my great-great-great-great-grandfather, Kara Georgia, was the one who liberated um, Serbia from the Ottoman Empire in 1804. And King Peter is his grandson. And King Peter would not have started wars with with Austria and Hungary like that, because he didn't believe in central... I don't know for for sure for this, but he did not believe in central banking, and he would not have have spent all that money to uh, to, to, to fund a war, which... You would have lost him.
7: Was he then a vassal under the emperor of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, whoever that is? Pardon me if I don't know. Um, like I know that Serbia was a sort of an unwilling, controlled ca- territory in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. That's about all I could say.
8: It was at one point in the 1800s, and that's when my uh, Karajorja son was the first uh, monarch of after Karajorja. But Karajorja was not a monarch. He was, he was assassinated it took five, six times to, to, to assassinate, but he finally assassinated Alexander Knez Alexander, which is like the Principality Prince Alexander of of Yugos- of Serbia, was uh, was the um, was the Prince of of Serbia under the Austro-Hungarian Principality. But we wanted to move away from that, and that's when King Peter the First was very was very very critical.
7: So, can you make people like knights and dukes and uh, just go to say things?
8: I mean, like I'm fascinated about this. No, we are a non-functioning royal family, so there's we can't do anything like that. We can give orders. My father can give all i say, but um there's uh, there's three or four orders that we have that we can give like uh first from the first to the fifth degree orders and depending on how what service they do to us but um these aren't things i mean. Yeah, one, one day if I do, if monarchy does come back to the country, then, uh, you yeah, know, so we never did dukes and knights and stuff like that, but these orders will become more meaningful in uh, in, in a functioning, functioning monarchy. So an order isn't like,
7: you, sit down. An order is a group, an organization, um, or something like that.
8: Yes. An order is, um, there's different orders for different sort of accomplishments, and they are a way of thinking. Uh, of becoming a way like becoming part of the family it's a way of uh, of having a connection to the royal family and if you've done good service anyone can get an order and it's recognized and it's and people will happily wear those orders on their on their shirt on their on their jacket or whatever and they will say you know i have ties now with the royal family or whatever or whoever it is and it's uh, it brings a lot a sense of um of belonging tradition and it's I mean it's what monarchies do.
7: Fascinating stuff. Um. So, I, I again, um, not knowing how this interview is going to start or end. How can people find out more about what it is you're trying to do? Uh. You know. Are you reaching out to people? What What are your goals?
8: Uh, yeah. So I'm working in Belgrade in Serbia. Living living there now for two years. We're going to start a foundation in um in Serbia that's going to focus on. Promoting circular economies, promoting uh, bringing business, uh, business ideas to Serbia where people – because Serbia has a big brain drain problem and demographical crisis. More people are leaving than, they are, than are being born. So that's an issue. That's a huge issue. So we want to give the um, – make it so people can move back. Although I have seen one thing recently that's quite interesting and I have noticed um, some Canadians moving back to Serbia – and um, I knew why, but I had to ask them why. And I said, Yeah, because of what's happening with Trudeau. So it's fun there's circular migration in a way that they left they left the West. I mean they left they left the East because of ideological differences. Now they're leaving the West, back to Serbia, because of ideological differences. It's fascinating that. But I think that's just a blip in um in, in time and I'm, I hope I mean I hope it doesn't continue that way because otherwise things are gonna go really south in, in the in the West. But anyway, I'm not here to discuss, discuss that. I, uh, I'm working on the, on a foundation, my wife and I opened a foundation, so we're going to use, look looking at sort of health, uh, environmental, and ecological p- uh, projects to, um, to improve situations and, and create jobs in Serbia with a circular economy and mindset, so moving away from globalism, and create anything decentralized happening in Serbia. So I'm going to be looking at Bitcoin projects as well. And... Also, looking at cultural heritage projects as well, and making sure that p- parts of our history are not destroyed because we have incredible pa- uh, villas and and centres and stuff that are just being destroyed by, uh, by 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 new money and just building horrible income earners. <laughs> so I, um, you can follow me like on 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 Twitter. I'm quite active on Twitter. It's Prince Philip One, but Prince. Is P-R-I-N-C-F-I-L-I-P-1. No E and no (laughs) P-H-F.
7: Prince Philip of Serbia, uh, thank you so much for spending time with me. And I hope people do follow you on Twitter. This has uh, been a fascinating conversation. Thank you.
8: Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure speaking to you.